Everybody loses last night's presidential debate, so Bernie remains on top. But the oppo file on the septuagenarian socialist is starting to leak, and a couple of Bernie's erotic manifestos give us some insight on the Sanders campaign. We will examine the eternal connection between creepy sex and leftist politics. Then, CNN redefines newborn babies as fetuses that are born, and Bernie rebuffs the Obama era. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Bernie Sanders has some sick, creepy views about sex, and it is by far the most interesting aspect of his campaign, and it really matters. It tells us a lot about the left, which we will get to in a second. But first, I have got to quickly cover what happened during last night's presidential debate. During last night's debate, I was on a plane as it was landing. The plane is landing as the debate's beginning. I'm then running through an airport to catch a layover, and then I'm taking off, and I'm doing my best to listen because it was by far the most wild, crazy, exciting Democratic debate so far. They were all going after one another, and they all lost. So South Carolina is supposed to be Joe Biden's big comeback. That's why South Carolina matters for the establishment of the Democratic Party. It's Joe Biden's firewall. He's been saying it from the beginning. He's got to win here. It's the first state with a large black voting population. That's where Joe does well. That's where Bernie tends to do poorly. That's where Buttigieg doesn't get a single vote. That's where Warren doesn't do very well. And so he's got to win this, right? How is it looking? Unfortunately for Joe Biden, he spent most of last night, his last stand in South Carolina, trying in vain to form an English sentence. the Maybe the most coherent part of last night, it's definitely in the top three, was when Joe Biden claimed that guns had murdered half of the country in the last 13 years. That has caused carnage on our streets. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. 150 million people. I think that might be off by an order of magnitude or two or three. That's probably, looking around, I don't think half of my countrymen have been murdered in the last 13 years. And sadly, that was maybe Joe's most coherent moment of the night. He spent much of the rest of the debate just sort of incoherently rambling. Uh, He would randomly just stop speaking. So he'd be mid-sentence and he'd say, okay, I'm going to stop. Why did I stop? I shouldn't, uh, no one else is stopping anyway. Okay, what's going on? What's for dessert? What are we having? And the line he kept going back to, which beyond the apparent senility, beyond the slowing down or garbling his words, the line that's really hurting him out there, uh, just as an ideological matter, is he keeps saying, I'm the only one that gets stuff done. That was the line he kept going back to all night long. I'm the only one who's gotten anything done. I'm the only one in this stage that actually got anything done on health care. Okay? I'm the guy the president turned to and said, go get the votes for Obamacare. And I noticed what everybody's talking about is the plan that I first introduced. That is to go and add to Obamacare, provide a public option, a Medicare-like option. If you're the only one who's gotten things done, if you've gotten so much done, why are there still all these problems? Right? If this is the best you could do, you've been in office since the 70s, you've gotten all these things done, 
Why are there so many problems? Joe Biden goes out there, goes, I got health care done. Well, if you got health care done, how come 87 million Americans are still uninsured? How come there's still this apparent crisis of health care that all the Democrats are telling us about? Remember, Obamacare in 2008 was supposed to, and then 2009 when it actually goes through, was supposed to fix all of the health care problems, but it didn't. It was supposed to give us universal health care. It didn't. It didn't work. All it did was raise the prices of health care and force Americans unconstitutionally to buy a product that they didn't want. So you got it done, but there's still all these problems. He keeps going back to, he says, I'm the only guy who's taken on the NRA twice. I beat the NRA. Well, you beat the NRA. How come there's still all these shootings? Now, maybe here's, here's a reasonable answer to that. The reason there's still all these shootings is because you don't stop crime by taking away American civil rights. Maybe the reason why there are still issues with healthcare is because the problem with healthcare is not that there was too little government. It was that there was too much government interference. Maybe that's just a suggestion. Either way, the solutions that Joe Biden is proposing are pretty weak. He doesn't have credibility on this. He's had 50 years to fix the problems, and he hasn't done it. The second saddest performance of the night came from A.B. Klobuchar. Before we got into Bloomberg finally making a comeback, a little bit, a comeback and then kind of a flop. We'll get into all that. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Ebb Sleep. You know me. I need at least, what, 18, 19 hours of sleep a night just to just to maintain my beauty rest. You need to try Ebb Sleep. If you have tried everything else from pills to pillows, and you've got your thoughts racing all night long, it's time to try Ebb. Ebb Sleep is a wearable solution that fits over the forehead and gently and precisely cools the forehead to reduce those racing thoughts. It allows people who suffer from sleeplessness to drift more comfortably into a deeper, more restorative sleep. It's actually a fairly simple idea. You, you cool your head. The studies have shown this will slow those racing thoughts, help you fall asleep. Ebb can do it. It's a really great way to deal with stress, and everybody's very stressed out. Brain imaging studies followed by 3,800 nights of clinical studies by renowned sleep researchers revealed this revolutionary way. So right now, have the energy to do the things you love again by getting the sleep that you need. Ebb's natural solution has no morning side effects, allows you to get back to peak performance. Right now, our listeners can try Ebb risk-free for 60 nights to confirm it's the solution you've been looking for at tryeb.com slash Knowles. That's T-R-Y-E-B-B dot com slash Knowles. K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Tryeb.com slash Knowles. Order today to get the sleep you need and deserve. All right. The second saddest performance of the night was Amy Klobuchar. Remember there was Amy Ment Klobmentum coming out of New Hampshire because she finished like what, seventh or something and that was supposed to be really exciting. So Amy Klobuchar trying to grab that moderate lane from either Pete Buttigieg or Liz Warren, depending on the day of the week. And it's just, it's just not really working out that well. Last question of the night was two parts. Last question was, what's the biggest misconception about you and what is your motto? And Amy Klobuchar unintentionally gave the funniest possible answer to that. I'd say the biggest... The biggest misconception is that I'm boring, because I'm not. Um, then I would say that um, my motto uh, is the words of one of my political mentors, Paul Wellstone, who's sadly no longer with us. And he said uh, that politics is about improving people's lives. The biggest misconception about me is that I'm boring. And my motto is politics is political. 
or something. <laughs> Come on, Amy, get, you got to like jazz it up a little bit. If you're going to say, hey, guys, I'm not really boring, then you've got to say something that isn't the most banal, basic, obvious statement for your motto. The other candidate's answers really were not much better. Liz Warren's was the absolute worst. She said, she said the big misconception about me is that I don't eat enough. But I eat. I just happen to be so thin. I look too good. Oh, what's my biggest weakness, employer? I work too hard. That's it. That's me. Whoopsie. I know. I really got to work on that. It's just so, so pathetic. Warren actually, to her credit, did get a couple shots in, but the shots misfired. In her big line of the night, she was going for Mike Bloomberg, went for the jugular, and there's a, it's kind of an interesting reason why she went for Mike Bloomberg. We'll get to that in a second. The line itself was so outrageous. She went after Bloomberg for a rumor that Bloomberg once told a female employee of his who had become pregnant that he should, quote, kill it. And she brought this up as such a heinous, awful, terrible thing to say. At least I didn't have a boss who said to me, kill it. The way that I Mayor Bloomberg never said that. have said to one of oh, his on. pregnant employees. People want a chance that to hear... This is the most oblivious political attack I've ever seen. Just yesterday, Elizabeth Warren voted against a bill that would protect babies who survive abortion and are born alive. She voted to deny medical care to newborn babies if their mothers had tried to kill them. And then she attacks Bloomberg for allegedly, no evidence, but allegedly saying to a female employee that she should go kill it. Kill what, Liz? Just a clump of cells. You can't kill a clump of cells. It's just a fetus, right? How on earth could you possibly kill? Oh, because it's a baby. And it's bad that Mike Bloomberg said that someone should kill it, but it's good that you voted to deny medical care to the babies who didn't manage to get killed. Is that, that the line? Okay, very, very strange logic there. Now, why, the reason that uh, Warren was going after Bloomberg last night and not after Bernie is because her attack on Bernie Sanders totally backfired. So Elizabeth Warren, remember, this whole campaign, Liawatha, right? She doesn't know which way she's going to go. Is she going to be the establishmentarian moderate? Is she going to be the socialist radical? It does, depends on the focus groups. Depends on how the polls are looking. So right now it looks like she's in the Bernie lane, so she should go after Bernie. Trouble is, she went after Bernie last time, and it completely backfired. So she leaked that story about how Bernie said a woman can't be elected president. And she called him out for it on the stage. And then it didn't work and her poll numbers tanked. So even though she's still going for Bernie's voters, she has got to attack Bloomberg because she knows that when she attacks Bloomberg, her poll numbers among the progressives go up. The problem for Warren is that she's just so unlikable and she doesn't, she doesn't know how to respond. She can throw the first punch, but then she doesn't know how to react when people fight back. So for instance, she gives this ridiculous attack on what Bloomberg allegedly said. She builds that into attack about how Bloomberg has had allegations of sexual harassment at his company, not against him, but at his company. And the women who took a payout decided to sign non-disclosure agreements. And that's terrible. And the NDAs are so bad. And then Bloomberg responds. He said, okay, you think we should release women from these non-disclosure agreements? We did that. And now we've also decided as a company not to have any more non-disclosure agreements because you've asked for that. So we've done everything you've asked. What do you want? 
And she's left there sputtering because she doesn't have an answer. She just wants to keep banging Bloomberg over the head with that, and it doesn't work. She's unlikable. Bloomberg actually is likable in some ways, and he did much, much better at this debate than at the last one. He, he got a lot of good jabs in at the different candidates, and he's very good at getting jabs in at Bernie. He got one jab in where he suggested that Vladimir Putin is hoping that Bernie gets the nomination so that Bernie loses to Trump. Bloomberg, Senator, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. Do you think Senator Sanders' economy would be better for America than I, President Trump? I think that uh, Donald Trump thinks it would be better if he's president. I do not think so. Vladimir Putin thinks that Donald Trump is, should be president of the United States. And that's why Russia is helping you get oh, elected Mr. so you'll Bloomberg. lose to him. He's got a great dry delivery when he's getting these jabs in at Bernie. Yeah, Putin wants you to get the nomination because you'll lose to Trump. Or at the last debate, he said, look, Bernie, you're a socialist who is a millionaire with three houses. And then Bernie says, well, I live in Washington. I work in Washington. And, and Bloomberg goes, yeah, that's the first problem. He's good like a New Yorker tends to be. He's good at getting these little jabs in at people. He's, he still can't take it all the way. He's not like Trump where he can entertain in a sort of broad spectrum of show business. He's only got that one little lane is that he can insult people, Bloomberg. So he tried to make a self-effacing joke last night. That did not go very well. I don't know which Hollywood scriptwriter uh, wrote this joke out for him, but it did not land. Bloomberg tried to make a joke about what a bad job he did at the last debate, and it just fell flat. Let me also say, because it just uh, since, since I have the floor for a second, that I really am surprised that all of these, uh, my fellow uh, uh, contestants up here, I guess would be the right word for it, <laughs> given nobody pays attention to the clock, uh, I'm surprised they show up because I would have thought after I did such a good job in beating them last week that they'd be a little bit afraid to do that. Uh, hi, yes, I know that you asked me a question, but beep boop, I've been told by my programmers to tell this self-effacing joke. Ha 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 ha, beep boop, beep boop, doesn't work. It just didn't, it was so awkward. It's like, well, please stop this, man. You don't, you don't need to be self-effacing, but you know, if you're going to do it, do it. I don't, I don't know which staffer wrote that joke. I don't know which staffer told him, by the way, uh, his biggest flaw of the debate performance, which was that he defended the government of China. I mean, this is Bloomberg's problem. Bloomberg, who actually has many good qualities, he's a very successful businessman, very pragmatic manager and able manager. He's very good at making markets more efficient, that kind of stuff. He's just a visionless technocrat. That's the problem. And so he ends up at one point, he's asked about the government of China, and he, he ends up defending the Chinese government, which is a brutal government. You know, the, the advisor who told him to do that is probably the same advisor who put his face on a meatball. It's just, it doesn't resonate with the American people. And so he defends this tyrannical government. He's not the only candidate, by the way, to defend tyrannical governments, but we'll get to Bernie in a second because Bernie is really the winner ultimately of this debate. And Bernie is a creepy, creepy dude. And Bernie's revolution is going to be pretty pervy. So we'll get to that. But first, I've got to talk to you about how you got to make your neighborhood safer. And that is with Ring. Look, I live in Los Angeles, a, a giant city, not known for being the safest city in the world. Just the other day, we had two guys break into our building who were trying to steal packages. And I think they made away with a number of packages. Luckily, they didn't make it to my door. And if they had, I would have seen their faces because of Ring. Ring 
just keeps you safer. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. You already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected whether you're in the office, whether you're in Washington, D.C., like I am. You'll get an alert. You'll be able to see, hear, and speak to whoever's at the door. Maybe it's a burglar. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe you don't know which one you would rather it was. It, it, look, I, I joke sometimes about how you can see little crazy critters, like little possums and things come in front of the camera. But also, you can see when people come by and try to rob you, and it's really, really helpful. As a, as a subscriber, you get a special offer right now on a Ring welcome kit at ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. The kit includes a video doorbell and a Chime Pro, which is just what you need to start building a ring of security around your home today. Go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That's ring.com slash Knowles. Bloomberg wasn't the only guy to defend uh, tyrannical governments last night. Bernie Sanders, of course, did that as well. Bernie, over the past few days, has been asked about his past support of Fidel Castro. What does he do? He doubles down again last night. What I said is what Barack Obama said in terms of Cuba, that Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think, really? Really? Yes, Literacy programs no are bad. What Barack Obama Barack said Obama is they made great progress on education well, and health care. There is no way to spin Fidel Castro to be a good guy for the vast majority of the American electorate, all right? It might work for Bernie Sanders' base, who don't, don't know much about history, but it's not going to work for the majority of the American electorate. It's going to kill him in Florida, which is why all the Republicans are hoping that Bernie Sanders gets the nomination now. He, he just can't help himself because he really believes this stuff. I mean, he, Bernie has been a revolutionary for a very, very long time, as we'll see in one of his manifestos uh, from 40 years ago in just a second. Just this very week, I think, Bernie Sanders criticized Bibi Netanyahu's government in Israel as bigoted, racist, terrible, awful, and he praised and lauded Fidel Castro's dictatorship in Cuba. Tells you everything you need to know about that guy's foreign policy. Then Bernie had a, another terrible hit. He steps in it again when he said that he has a jobs plan for minorities. I kid you not, his jobs plan for minorities is to legalize drugs so that minorities in particular can legally sell drugs. And I'll tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to provide help to the African-American, Latino, Native American community to start businesses to sell legal marijuana rather than let a few corporations control the legalized marijuana market. This is something that if you scripted it for Larry David on Saturday Night Live, they would say, no, 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 that's too far. It's so tone deaf. It's so offensive to say, yeah, well, the only way we're going to get black and Hispanic people to hold down jobs is if we legalize drugs. Because look, all, they, all those guys can do is sell drugs, right? So we're just going to legalize drugs and then they'll do it legally. Are you kidding me? Could you imagine if Donald Trump had said that? They'd impeach him for it. But Bernie Sanders says it, and it just sort of passes by. It's sort of just one of those cute quirks of Bernie. Bernie, really, uh, just on the minute-by-minute play of the debate, had a pretty bad night. He ended up getting booed when he went back for the seventh or eighth time to his favorite line about the billionaires and the no longer the millionaires because he's a millionaire. So he goes and he assails the billionaires again. Gets a big round of boos from the audience. 
Bloomberg has a solid and strong and enthusiastic base of support. Problem is, they're all billionaires. Now, if you look... Still, Bernie won because nobody did any good for themselves. Pete had an okay night. Bloomberg did a lot better than he did last time, but last time he did terribly. But nobody really did that much good. And Elizabeth Warren pretty much admitted this right off the top when she came out there as part of her strategy to ingratiate herself to the Bernie progressives. She actually admitted that Bernie's winning the race, and she even complimented him. The way I see this is that Bernie is winning right now because the Democratic Party is a progressive party and progressive ideas are popular ideas, even if there are a lot of people on this stage who don't want to say so. You know, but Bernie and I agree on a lot of things, but I think I would make a better president than Bernie. And the reason for that is that getting a progressive agenda enacted is going to be really hard. And it's going to take someone who digs into the details to make it happen. This is a bad idea. I know why she did it. I mean, she's she's realizing that there aren't that many paths left to her in the race. And so she's just saying, please, Bernie voters, please, I really like you. I really like you. Just come on over to me and leave your man, Bernie. It's not going to work. You can't out Bernie Bernie. You can't do it. You can't out Trump Trump. A lot of candidates tried to do that last time in the 2016 race. It doesn't work. Do you remember when Marco Rubio decided because he was losing Trump's poll numbers were winning that he was just going to go out there and do a Trump impression? So he went out and did basically a round of insult comedy, made fun of Donald Trump's hands, suggested that other body parts were small. And it just it doesn't land. You know, you've the voters can smell this. They can sense it when you're being inauthentic or you're being flattering or ingratiating. And uh, it it doesn't work, especially for someone as unconventional as Donald Trump or a candidate as radical as Bernie Sanders. She's not going to out Bernie Bernie, and she's probably going to lose, and Bernie is probably going to win it. Because even though he did terribly at the debate last night, he actually won it because nobody else did well either. Bernie Sanders may be the guy. And if Bernie Sanders is the guy, it's time to start taking a closer look at what this guy believes. Because unlike, say, President Trump, President Trump is a a guy who entered politics without a totally hardened ideological view, right? His view of politics was, I can do it. I'm really good at fixing things. I'm going to fix things. But he's not an ideologue, okay? He wasn't, he's not a Marxist. He's not a, a, a libertarian. He's not, he hasn't like studied the intricacies of ideology. Bernie Sanders has, and he's written about it. And what he's written about it is creepy and weird, he, there, a lot of people have talked about Bernie Sanders' 1972 rape essay where he talks about rape. So he talks about how men fantasize about abusing women and how women fantasize about being abused. That is not even the creepiest thing he's ever written about sex. He's written something far creepier, which the Bloomberg campaign dug up. It's called The Revolution is Life Versus Death. This is from 1969. We will analyze it because I don't think anybody's talking about it, and it tells you a lot, not just about Bernie, but about leftism. We'll get to that in a second. First, I've got to tell you how I get over hangovers. (laughs) Now, what most people would use this for is to hydrate after being athletic, you know, doing some sporting event. Obviously, that's not what I do. Liquid IV. 
Liquid IV's cellular transport technology delivers an optional ratio of nutrients for more efficient uptake. So if you're a good person who's got your whole life in order, you could use this in the morning. I mean, it's it's like you get that energy like you would from a cup of coffee, but you don't get the crash. Or you'd use it after you go on a long run or something. Me, not me. After I go out for a couple Coca-Colas with the boys, come back. It's a really good way to hydrate. Enhanced rapid absorption into the bloodstream gives you a lasting energy boost fast. Liquid IV can power your mornings. Liquid IV can fuel long days at the office, and it can provide a boost for tough workouts, so I'm told. Clean ingredients, non-GMO, vegan, free of gluten, dairy, and soy, all that stuff that I don't even understand, all that terrible stuff that's not good for you, they take it out of there. Uh, It's really great. It's convenient. TSA friendly, which is important if you travel a lot. Single serving packets, perfect for travel. I love it. Everyone loves it at the office. You got to check it out. Get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S at checkout. 25% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website, liquidiv.com. Enter promo code Knowles to save 25% and get better hydration and energy. Liquidiv.com, promo code Knowles. Don't wait. Start fueling your adventures today. So we had heard about this. We had heard about this 1972 rape essay. Uh, Hillary Clinton brought this up in 2016. Uh, He talks about, you know, all these rape fantasies and things. It's a creepy article. I mean, he even refers to 13-year-olds having sex. It's weird. But in Bernie's defense, the point of the article is to describe how sex has gone wrong because of our evil society. So he's not actually defending rape or something. I mean, I, I think that's an unfair attack. However, the essay is important, and another essay that he wrote about sex is even more important because it does tell us a lot about his, not just his views on sex, but his views on radical politics. This essay, called The Revolution is Life Versus Death, was published in the Vermont Freeman in November 1969. This is when Bernie Sanders was 28 years old. Okay, he wasn't a freshman in college here. Everybody writes stupid things when they're freshmen in college. He was 28. This guy's pushing 30 when he wrote this. His views were pretty well formed at this point. He still had never held down a job in his life, but he had thought a lot about his vision of the world. I guess he still hasn't really held down a job other than working for the government for his whole life. What's interesting about this piece is this is the the revolutionary manifesto that he wrote. It's about politics. It's about government. It's about economics. But for some reason, sex is at the center of it. And I notice this is true a lot with the left. At the center of their revolutionary craziness, very often, it boils down to sex. Why is that? Bernie actually explains it in this essay. We will get to that in a second. First, I've got to say goodbye to Facebook and uh, YouTube. We've got a few things to tell you about that are very exciting. Next Tuesday, Super Tuesday, Daily Wire backstage is going to be with you the whole time. So block out your whole night. We're going to be doing it. I'll probably at least have three or four cigars and be very inebriated by the end of it because of how long that night is going to go. So check that out. Matt Walsh has a new book out, which is superb. It's called Church of Cowards, A Wake-Up Call for Complacent Christians. Uh, You can get it right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all over the place. Uh, It's a really important topic. You know, there are Christians being martyred in the Middle East. Most Christians in the United States are unwilling to even put down their smartphones for a few minutes. So check it out, Church of Cowards by Matt Walsh. And by the way, Leap Day is coming up. Leap Day happens, but once every four years. Uh, You should go uh, and be ready because there's going to be a very exciting deal that happens at 
the Daily Wire on Leap Day. So set your calendars, be ready, waiting on the edge of your seat. Head on over to dailywire.com right now. We'll be right back with a lot more. All right. The revolution is life versus death. It begins by Bernard Sanders. Mr. Sanders, who has written several other thoughtful pieces for the Freeman, lives in Greensboro Bend, from which vantage point he takes a penetrating look at the world around him. You see, penetrating, that is a pun right there. Penetrating from the very beginning, from what the editors threw in there. The uh, piece begins, there are a couple paragraphs there, you know, doesn't say very much. These uh, manifestos always get a little bit windy. Then he goes on. Death. And some people actually wonder why young people rebel, why there is a revolution taking place. Lies, 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 invasion, napalm, torture, bombings, annihilation of whole villages, body counts, and more lies in defense of liberty, against communist aggression, to protect American interests, empty phrases, dead words spoken by dead people, lies. Democracy is a United States Congress composed of millionaires and state legislatures controlled by lobbyists. Now, I know that Bernie is regretting that line right now because he is one of the millionaires who's in Congress, so probably didn't see that one coming. He didn't think that his future earnings potential was so great. What he's saying is he doesn't believe in liberty. What he's saying is he doesn't oppose communism. What he's saying is he doesn't support American interests, and what he's saying is he doesn't believe in democracy in America. In a phrase, he's saying he doesn't believe in America. It's all a lie. They're all phonies. He's like holding Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye, that annoying kid in that annoying book. It's this hyper cynicism that is fashionable among idiot teenagers before their brains fully develop. Bernie wrote this at 28. (laughs) He wasn't 15 or something. Bernie has always been a late bloomer, right? He didn't get a job until he was 40. He didn't have a major political career until he was 75. A late bloomer. Maybe he hasn't bloomed at all. Actually, maybe the reason that his career is taking off now is because our culture has just finally degraded itself to his level. He goes on. A revolution is taking place. Life is fighting against strangulation and death. And life will win. Life is young at any age. Alive, open, and non-fearing. Pause. I believe by, the, by non-fearing, what he means is unafraid. I don't know if non-fearing is some like cool hip speak or he just didn't have a great command of the English language, but he goes on. Life can take his clothes off and be naked with friends. Hmm? He or she has nothing to hide. There is nothing prettier than the unclothed human body. In Miami, the American Legion sponsors a rally for decency. Even Jackie Gleason attends. Jim Morrison of The Doors is arrested for giving a lewd performance. He is immoral. Okay, so now this is the first place where it starts to transition into something about sex. I thought we were talking about politics and revolution. All of a sudden, we're talking about the naked human body and lewd performances and why that's not really immoral. This is a common thread among leftist radicals. This goes all the way back to Rousseau, who is, you know, this we're talking 250 years ago now, the kind of proto-radical intellectual type. Uh, this connection between nakedness and the truth. You think about the naked truth, right? We're going to take away all this, all the coverings and we're going to get, get to the truth. There's this utopian dream 
that we have to get rid of artificial things. You hear this a lot with the crunchy, earthy people on the left, especially. If we just go back to nature, everything will be really, really great. That's the idea. Now, I don't think that's true. I don't think we will, everything will be really great when we go back to nature. But Bernie explains how, and when he explains how, this is when it gets really pervy, okay? He says, quote, because they have been good little children and because the judge this year is liberal, Daddy is going to allow everyone who is over 18 to see I Am Curious Yellow, which was a a porno film from the 60s. Yes, you can see naked people and even sexual intercourse right in your local movie theater. And 300,000 people over 18 lined up like good little girls and boys and saw it. Yes, son, age 90. That's how other people do it. In Vermont, at a state beach, a mother is reprimanded by authority for allowing her six-month-old daughter to go without her diapers on. Now if children go around naked, they're liable to see each other's sexual organs and maybe even touch them. Terrible thing. If we bring children up like this, it will probably ruin the whole pornography business, not to mention the large segment of the general economy, which makes its money by playing on people's sexual frustrations. The revolution is coming, and it is a very beautiful revolution. It is beautiful because in its deepest sense, it is quiet, gentle, and all-pervasive. It knows. All right, a lot of creepiness to unpack here, right? So what he's saying is, he's kind of mocking liberal culture, which has pornography, which it says is immoral, but every so often you get to see it. And he's, he's criticizing that only people over 18 get to see the pornography. He's, what he's criticizing this whole time is that we are not introducing children to sex. This is part of a broader theme that was going on on the left in the 60s and 70s, which was about introducing sex to children by acknowledging children as sexual creatures. All right, that, this is not some right-wing conspiracy theory. You can read it right here in, in Joe, uh, Joe Biden, that was a Freudian slip, in Bernie Sanders' own words. He keeps going back to how crazy it is that only people over 18 get to do this stuff right? It gets overtly sexual. And the image of children gets overtly sexual. He blames clothing, right? Going back to nakedness, he blames clothing, which is a symbol for our repressed, traditional capitalist civilization. He blames that for sexual dysfunction, which is symptomatic of our broader social dysfunction. So the clothing is the kind of symbol of why everything goes wrong in our society. And then he suggests that the cure to sexual dysfunction is for kids to run around naked, and this is the crucial part, to engage in sexual acts with each other. What he is literally saying in this essay is that if we were all to sexually molest each other as children, we wouldn't grow up with sexual and social pathologies. All right, the whole thing, this whole essay has been crazy up until this point, but now we see it most clearly because we all know that people who were molested as children have much, much more trouble later in life than those who were not. It doesn't solve social pathologies. It creates them. But Bernie's bad sex advice is not just for children. You know, what he's, what he's partaking of is this vision of the world, which comes from Freud, which is that we've just got all these sexual frustrations and we're like a steam engine and we've, this, we've got to let the steam out. We've got to let the pressure out because other, we can't repress anything. And so we've just got to do whatever we want. We've got to follow any desire that we have, any lust that we have, whether it's disordered or not. Very popular idea in the late 60s. Turns out it was completely wrong, and it's led to absolute cultural chaos and, and personal destruction. But that was the idea. Okay, and, and 
It's not just for the kids, it's for the adults, too. He says, The revolution comes when two strangers smile at each other, when a father refuses to send his child to school because schools destroy children, when a commune is started and people begin to trust each other, when a young man refuses to go to war, and when a girl pushes aside all that her mother has taught her and accepts her boyfriend's love. Now, before we get into this craziness, the commune example is funny. Uh, one, because virtually every commune in history has failed. But it's especially funny here because two years after this essay was written, Bernie Sanders got kicked off of a commune for being too lazy. <laughs> do, you, do you know how lazy you have to be to be kicked off of a hippie commune? Like, like immobile like can't lift your arm kind of lazy. So that's just a funny irony that we can only see now with in hindsight, because at, at this time, this was right before Bernie got kicked off. But notice that last line. That last line there is key. When a girl pushes aside all that her mother has taught and accepts her boyfriend's love, lets him, lets him do what he wants, that's what, accepts her boyfriend's love. How has that worked out? Also in hindsight, we can test that theory against reality. Since the sexual revolution of the 1960s, most young women have taken Bernie's advice and the advice of the left generally. And it has made them, in particular, miserable. Rates of STDs have skyrocketed. Abortion rates have skyrocketed. Depression, anxiety, stress, all have skyrocketed. People who are hooked on psych drugs because they're so depressed, skyrocketed. Loneliness, major epidemic. Loneliness, you can directly tie to this kind of stupid advice. Me Too abuses. We just saw Harvey Weinstein get sentenced to prison yesterday. Me Too, gotten worse and worse and worse. Even worse than it was before. And women's happiness has plummeted, both in absolute terms and relative to men, according to every study we have on the subject. You know, the, the line that these radicals always use is they say, We've never tried my ideas before. Real socialism's never been tried. A real revolution's never been tried. It has. Obviously, it's been tried in other places around the world. But these ideas, these cultural ideas, have been tried in the United States, and they've failed. And the historical record is very clear. Why do revolutionary ideologies always seem to revolve around sex? 250, 300 years back, Rousseau, Ibsen, Karl Marx, Jean-Paul Sartre, all of these radicals, these radical intellectuals, had bizarre and creepy attitudes towards sex. Modern leftism is completely obsessed with sex. Sex education is one of their top issues. Abortion on demand, they just had another vote on it yesterday. They wouldn't even uh, vote to uh, give medical care to a baby who survived an abortion. That's how obsessed they are with abortion. Redefining marriage. Pete Buttigieg having a nine-year-old boy come out as homosexual at a campaign rally on national television and then telling him that his identity is merely the sum total of his sexual desires. It is weird. It is very creepy. And it's effective. That's why they do it. That's why, that's why even when they're talking about economics, somehow sex gets into it. Even when they're talking about, ver about politics, about systems of government, somehow sex always gets into it. The reason for that is that sex is our most basic passion. So in Genesis, for instance, in Gilgamesh, right, civilization begins with sex. All these stories about how humanity began. People are easily manipulated by sex. Sex has to play an important role 
in any worldview. And it also plays an important role in revolutionary politics because if you can harness a person's sexual passions, you can make them less rational and you can make them more malleable. You can twist them. That's, that's why Bernie Sanders is so obsessed with sex. I want to get to uh, some more creepy sex stuff. CNN has just redefined newborn babies. I can't, I can't leave today without getting to this. CNN has redefined newborn babies as fetuses that are born. Headline, two abortion restriction bills that forced, forced tough votes for vulnerable senators fail in the Senate. Uh, quote, the second bill to be considered Tuesday is the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, sponsored by Republican Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, that would require abortion providers to work to preserve the health and life the, the life and health of a fetus that was born following an attempted abortion as they would for a newborn baby or face up to five years in prison. So they have to use the same measures that they would use on a newborn baby as they would use for a newborn baby. Except, wait a second, it can't be a newborn baby because you have to save newborn babies and we want to kill this baby. So it's got, it can't be, it's got to be a fetus that was born. The pro, this poses a major problem for the PC euphemism game here. What is a fetus? A fetus is the Latin word for offspring. That's where we get the word fetus from. Fetus means offspring. In modern terms, the left has defined fetus to mean an unborn baby or a preborn baby. That's all it means. Once the baby is outside of the mother, it's a baby. But when it's inside the mother, it's a fetus. So when a fetus is born, by the left's own definition, it ceases to be a fetus and it becomes a baby. Now, this is difficult if a baby survives an abortion, and which in many cases, the baby is just killed or denied medical care. And so Ben Sass and these Senate Republicans are calling attention to this and saying, wait a second, what happens when the baby survives? You got to give it medical care. Trouble is, it becomes a baby, according to the left, once it leaves the mother. But if it's a baby, you can't kill it. But if a baby and a fetus are the same thing, then it's a distinction without a difference. So if you can't kill the baby, maybe you shouldn't kill the fetus either. Yikes. Democrats blocked the bill. Of course they did. They needed 60 votes in the Senate to get it over procedural hurdles, and the Democrats blocked it. Only Democrats Bob Casey, Doug Jones, and Joe Manchin, these are kind of red state, more conservative Democrats on a few issues, they were the only ones who voted to give medical care to newborn babies whose mothers didn't want them. Every other Democrat voted against it. So what every other Democrat is saying is that we don't have a natural right to life. There's no human right to life, whatever phrase they want to use. The only thing that confers life is being wanted by your mother. So if your mother doesn't want you one day, your right to life is gone. Anybody can kill you. It's free game. This is, this is evil stuff. Pete Buttigieg likes to point out that God doesn't belong to a political party. God definitely doesn't belong to this political party, tell you that. I don't make bold theological declarations usually about these kind of things. Pretty sure I can make that one. There can be legitimate disagreement among Christians on a number of political issues. There cannot be legitimate disagreement about this, okay? Some issues, no disagreement is permitted. This is one of them. If you're a Christian, you cannot vote for a Democrat who supports this. 
I guess this gets to the point of Matt Walsh's book, which is in bookstores now. You can't do it. The, the Catholic Church is very clear on this, and I know a lot of other Christian denominations are very clear on this. You cannot do it. If you support this kind of stuff and you're a Catholic, you can't even receive communion. You should, you should go confess your sin before you do it. That's according to the church. Same goes for socialism, by the way. Catholic Church, very clear on socialism. You cannot be a Catholic and a socialist. And yet, so many Christians today don't want to talk about this. They're so afraid of being involved in politics. They say, well, no, maybe you can. You can support slaughtering babies after they've been born. And you can support all these things and still be Christian. No, you can't. Two marks against the Democrats here, who in previous years played down their socialism, played down their abortion extremism, so there could be legitimate debate. You can't do it now. If you're Catholic, if you call yourself Christian at all, and you support these things, you're doing something very, very wrong, and you should stop it. By the way, it doesn't look like the Democratic Party is going to move to the right anytime soon, okay? This is Bernie Sanders' party now. There's a story that came out, who knows if it's true, that Bernie wanted to primary Barack Obama in 2012, all right? Now, between those two, the Obama Democratic Party, which was already pretty radical, and the Sanders Democratic Party, we are now in Sanders territory, and you got to pick a side. Pick a, what, what side do you want to be on? The side of hmm, hey, maybe we should grow the economy and not focus on all this weird, creepy stuff, or the side of bizarre sexual manifestos and killing newborn babies and taking away all your property and socialism. Doesn't seem like a hard choice for me, but, you know, you got to make your own decision. That's our show. There's a whole lot more to get to. By the way, I'm in D.C. right now, as you might be able to tell if you're watching this. And so we're going to be at CPAC with Verdict. Senator Ted Cruz and I will be there doing an event tomorrow. So if you're in D.C., Come on out. It'll be a lot of fun. Otherwise, in the meantime, get your mailbags questions in. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva, production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. On the Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation. 